God is on the move, isn't he? I wanted to share with you just um, a couple of things that have been happening here, life change stuff, transformational stuff. And uh, I got to tell you, I never get tired of life change, never get tired of seeing God move in someone's heart and absolutely bring a change that no person could ever do. Um, I was raised in the Catholic Church until the age of 14. At that time, I was given a choice. Um, because of some of the hypocrisy that I saw at church, I decided to stop going. During my high school years, I didn't think too much about God. But when I graduated, life became all about me. For the next 13 years, I would strive for success in my business and seek as much pleasure, pleasure as I possibly could. This affected my relationship with my wife to the point of even thinking about divorce. I held an agnostic view of God until age 30 when I realized that my life was in terrible direction. The day after my 30th birthday, I decided to see if God was really true and not, give, uh, and not view him through people's actions. When I heard the gospel, I realized I was a sinner. I was in need of a savior. I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior because I was broken and I needed hope. For 27 years, I've been following God and never looking back. God is good. Amen. Here's another one. Um, I feel the Lord is putting his people in place for something big that's coming at Mission Vale Christian Church. There are no coincidences. Hey, Pastor Mike, this is an email that came out. I finally got a great job helping those around me who needed rehab. God is so good. I finally turned things over to him. And the very next day, I got a phone call and an interview, and the job came. There's just a couple other things. God is waking us up. I love Jesus so much more. I am seeing God in a whole new way. I made some real changes in my life. I, I just want to mention that to you because I just believe God's hand is on us, and I believe that we must stay in a place of genuine humility, and we must stay in a place of being open. We are here simply for one reason, right? Because God loves us and we are simply loving him and worshiping him. And I've, I hope you've come to get fed today. I hope that you've come to receive something. Our job, part of our role, our passion is to equip you to go and give the greatest message to people that are just so, so desperately in need. Um, I just want to say, if you're new with us here at NBCC or maybe just um, been here a few times, I, I am so honored that you would come and on behalf of our entire team here. I, I just want you to know that you are among friends. You are among family. There's, there's nobody here that's better than anyone else. There's no one here that has it all together. And I don't mean to say that as an excuse to get to do whatever we want to do. I just want to say that out of sincerity and out of love, that freedom, I believe freedom in God is available to everyone. Anyone can step into relationship with Jesus, and we welcome everyone. Those doors are open always, always, seven days a week. I want you to tell your friends. I want you to invite people because you found him. You found something that no one could ever take away from you out of your heart. And I want so much for you to just to know that the church of Jesus, this church, 
is for people that are hurting, people that are lost, people that are confused, people that can't put things together, people that are still trying to figure out what life is about, people stuck in addictions, problem, pain, trauma, people that just feel stuck in life, people that don't believe that this Bible is real, people that don't believe in a God. This church is for everyone because I believe we are a, we are a hospital for people that are hurting. Can you imagine... Can you imagine for a moment you had some traumatic experience physically and you were driven to the ER and when you rode up, someone, some, because you were in such trauma, they wheeled you in through a wheelchair and you're st- sitting in the ER waiting to be treated and the nurse comes out and says, looks at you from head to toe and says, oh, you can't be here. And you say, but I'm hurting. I, I need help. I need drastic help. I need a doctor. Oh, no, you can't be here because you have all of these things wrong. You have to get those fixed and then come back. Isn't that kind of what we do in the church? Isn't that kind of what we do as believers? We think, well, everyone out there needs to get it fixed, and then they can come here, and then they can be taught the word. It's quite the opposite. Jesus came for sinners. He came for people who didn't have it together. He was down in the streets with people. He was down with the people that just needed a God who is real in their life. And so I want to say this, um, that the last few weeks, we've just kind of noticed that God is really doing something very, very special. And certainly, I want to give a message today for us, but I, I don't certainly want to interrupt anything that God is doing. So through the remainder of the service, I've, I, we were just praying all week as we've had prayer meetings, God, just come and have your way with us today, whatever it is that you want to do. And if it's just getting the word so that we can do what God wants us to do, that's awesome. But if God wants to break through in our midst and do something that he wants us to do that's not on script, I always want to remain open to that. And so in this passage, uh, Luke chapter 19, if you have your Bibles, and as uh, you're turning there, um, there have been... You may have noticed, um, aside from today with the rain, but uh, when it's sunny out, um, after services out on the grass area, I've noticed a lot of little ones, a lot of children, more strollers, more families, I think, who are looking at the world and saying, this isn't doing it for me. I need God. I need community. I need connection. And so with that, we are so glad that there are more people that God is bringing to MVCC. But I just want to speak for a moment to those that have already decided this is my family. This is where I'm planting roots. This is where I want to continue to grow. I want to just speak to you for just a moment. Two weeks ago, in the last two weeks, we've had an all-time high of 95 children. That's from birth to fifth grade, 95 kids. For our church, that's really big. That's huge. Um, two weeks ago, Wednesday, they had, uh, Monday, I'm sorry, they had in our student ministry, junior high and high school students had a special just night of worship. Our youth pastor um, just decided as he felt led of God, we just need to get students together to worship. Eight students gave their lives to Jesus Christ for the first time and stood up. Isn't that great? Now, aside from all these great things that are happening um, at MVCC, Oh, so there were three people that just gave their life to Jesus Christ. I don't know, if two, week, two weeks ago, 
Um, Baptism Sunday was such an amazing moment. Just hearing the testimonies and watching those folks go down into the water and coming up out of the water. New life changed. With all of those things happening, we need, I want you so much to get the joy of giving back. If you know Christ and this is your place, we want, to, we want so much for you to give, give back to God and give back to the place that, that helped you, Missionville Christian Church. And so we have eight service teams here that have been planted and strategized and put together by Pastor Robert for the simple joy of helping you to serve. And so we need you to get on team because we want to serve these families. We want to help people to know that Jesus Christ is not just a fleeting moment, that it's not something that just happens once. That it, God is here to stay in your heart, and we want to help you to continue to grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ. So if you don't have the MVCC app, I just want to ask you very quickly to download the app on your phone. There's a QR code in the back of the seat back in front of you with our bulletin that just um, real quick you can do that. And there's a connection point in the back. So you can do this online or you can go in the back and get more information at the conclusion of the service. But I just want to ask you to consider, I believe we will never find the true joy of knowing Jesus and the passion of him until we step in and start serving him. And so I want to encourage you to do that. No guilt trips or anything like that. We're not into that. We're just into, let's just serve Jesus together. Revival is here. Revival is already here. So here's the question. Are we going to step into it? Are we going to step into where God wants us to be? Have you ever been so afraid of something or someone that it felt like in that moment of fear that there was a vice that was just gripping your life. In Luke chapter 19, Jesus tells a pointed parable story to the disciples on his way to Jerusalem. He is embarking on the last week of his life. This is such an intense moment. And he wants so much for his followers to understand him and to hear what he's saying. And so we're going to go on that roadside along with Jesus. And I want so much for the Holy Spirit really to speak to us and bring us truth today. So it says um, in verse 11, before we read, I just want to give you a little context of what was happening. There was a man, remember we looked at last week, very small man, short man, Zacchaeus, who had a desire to see, to know if Jesus was who he said he was. And he climbed up a tree, and as he climbed up a tree and hung out on that limb, and he looked at Jesus, there was something, I believe, in that moment that Zacchaeus saw that Jesus was much different than any other religious leader. Jesus looks at him and says, Zacchaeus, come down from that tree. I'm having dinner with you. I want to enter into your life. I want us to have this relationship together, really what Jesus is telling Zacchaeus. And so as they go to that house and have dinner, We don't know exactly what happened in that moment, but we do know there was genuine life change on Zacchaeus' part. Because when he came out of that experience with Jesus, he knew that something had changed within his life. I believe at that moment, when he believed in Jesus Christ and he put his faith in him, and being an outcast in society, as he said, I will give everything I have ever stolen from everyone because of tax collecting, I will give it all back. In fact, some of them, I'm going to give four times over what I stole and what I cheated the people all these years. That's life change. That's transformation. That's what we're looking for. We're looking for not just a feeling, not just a moment, but we're looking for conviction. We're looking for an experience with God that 
translates to life change. Now, if Zacchaeus was afraid of what people thought about him, if Zacchaeus was afraid of what might happen to him, if Jesus or, uh, Zacchaeus was afraid of his reputation, he never would have stepped up to this place where he would have been able to see God in flesh. I, I want us to be able today, at the end of this moment, these few moments together, to be able to look fear at the, in the face and be able to, with confidence and with God's authority, you will not take me down. I will not be driven by fear. So on this road from Jericho to Jerusalem, which is 17 miles, they wanted so much for Jesus to set up his kingdom. They wanted Jesus to set up his earthly kingdom. And so they were in anticipation as they were at the last end here of Jesus's 17-mile journey of embarking on the city of God. This is the city of David. This is Jerusalem. This is where the temple is. This, this is where the Jews had assembled for all of their feasts, all of their gatherings to worship God. And as they are expecting now Jesus to sit on his throne, they wanted to be on the city council. They wanted to be on his right and his left. It got so bad, they got so misguided that literally they had an argument about who was going to be greatest in the kingdom. So it's with that context that they are expecting Jesus now to announce that now is the time. This is the last week. We are going to set up the kingdom, guys. Yes, you're going to be on my right and on my left. But it was so much to the contrary. And let's read this text together. In verse 11, the crowd was listening to everything Jesus said. And because he was nearing Jerusalem, he told them a story to correct the impression that the kingdom of God would begin right away. You see, what's happening is that they, again, are expecting Jesus to set up his kingdom. And so Jesus now tells them a story. And he said, a nobleman was called away to a distant empire to be crowned king and then return. Before he left, he called together 10 of his servants and divided among them 10 pounds of silver, saying, invest this for me while I am gone. But his people hated him. And sent a delegation after him to say, we do not want him to be our king. And after he was crowned king, he returned and called in the servants to whom he had given the money. And he wanted to find out what their profits were. The first servant reported, master, I invested your money and made 10 times the original amount. Well done, the king exclaimed. You are a good servant. You have been faithful with the little I entrusted to you. So you'll be governor of 10 cities and your re as your reward. And the next servant reported, Master, I invested your money and made five times the amount, original amount. Well done, the king said. You'll be governor over five cities. But the third servant brought back only the original amount of money and said, Master, I hid your money and kept it safe. Key word today, kept it safe. And I was afraid because you are a hard man to deal with. Taking what isn't yours and harvesting crops you didn't plant. You wicked servant, the king roared. Your own words condemn you. If you knew that I am a hard man who takes what isn't mine and harvests crops I didn't plant... Why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have gotten some interest on it. 
And then turning to the others standing nearby, the king ordered, take the money from this servant and give it to the one who has 10 pounds. But master, they said, he already has 10 pounds. Yes, the king replied. And to those who use well what they are given, even more will be given. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. And as for these enemies of mine, you didn't want, who didn't want me to be their king, bring them in and execute them right here in front of me. Scary, but truth. Let's unpack this together. When I read this, when I've read this over and over again this week, preparing for what I believe God put in my heart is, This kind of seems old-fashioned. It seems kind of out of context. Noblemen, servants, cities, 10 minas, all that. Basically, 10 minas is about three months' wages that he gave to every single one. The nobleman, of course, is Jesus. But the background of why he told this parable is very familiar to the people that were listening. In 40 BC, Herod the Great had a request to go to Mark Antony, who was king at that time. And he requested that he would reign over that jurisdiction, and so he granted him his request. Herod had sons. One of his sons was named Archelaus. Archelaus went to Rome to petition to Caesar as his father was getting ready to pass, and he asked Caesar, give me this kingdom. There was a problem, though. The people in that jurisdiction did not like Archelaus. I mean, to the point that they sent a delegation to Caesar, that he would not be chosen as the next king. Don't let Archelaus rule over us, because he's a bad man. And the emperor listened to the the council, to the delegation, and did not give him the kingship. Now, why that's important for the people hearing in that day is that Jesus was taking a real context, and he's foreshadowing something that's going to happen. He wanted the light in their eyes to go on to be able to say, I understand this. So that little bit of background, now we understand why Jesus told this simple parable. As he's going along the road, Jesus wants them to understand what he's saying. He wants them to get it. He wants them to spiritually be free to be able to hear the truth and respond to the truth. And so, of course, Jesus is the nobleman. He goes to a far country. And he comes specifically first for the Jewish people And then he comes for the Gentile, the rest of the world. So he has a heart for the Jewish people to come to know that he is their Messiah. But unfortunately, there were some in that day who rejected him. In fact, as Jesus stood before, will stand before Pilate in one week, moments before they would crucify him, Pilate asked him the question, are you the king of the Jews? And then as he stands before the people, he says, shall I crucify your king? And the people that he came for, Jesus, that he came for, the Jewish people, said in a loud voice, he's not our king. Send us Barabbas. Give us Barabbas. Caesar is our king. Going back to the context here of what Jesus was telling in the story, that Herod went, as his son did, to the great Caesar to have the request, I want to be king. Caesar always, always maintained his positionship. He always maintained his authority and his power. In fact, when people went into the city, literally what they had to say was, Hail Caesar, he's our king. In fact, on the coins that they exchanged 
for trade back in the day. It actually said, Caesar is our king. So the story of the nobleman makes a little bit more sense as he travels to a far country here. He looks at all of his servants and he says, I've given you this, I've given you this, and I've given you this, these 10 minas. The first one, as we looked at, he invested all of his 10 minas. In fact, he doubled that, three months' wages in the context. And so now because he had come back to settle with his servants, he entrusted him with jurisdiction over 10 cities. The second multiplied it to five as we read. He entrusted him, then read five regions and five cities. But the third played it safe. Buried it. And no investment. Didn't produce. Didn't produce a crop. Didn't bear any fruit. He didn't invest and see the return. And as we read, take the mina and give it to the others. Two of them obeyed and honored the nobleman out of their love and respect and honor for him. It wasn't because, I didn't read in the text, because they were afraid. It was because they honored and respected the nobleman. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem for the final time. This is his final moment. This is an intense moment. And so telling them a parable was simply to clarify his intent of where he's going and what will happen in the future. And he is also calling them to a higher level of commitment. Now, we are all in this story. Lest we say, well, that's kind of an old-fashioned story. Jesus was telling a parable. That's kind of out of the day. It doesn't really relate to me. It does. Every single one of us are in here. Either we are faithfully following Jesus, and what I mean by faithfully is not perfect, have it all together because we don't. I'm just saying, do we have a totally surrendered heart and we're doing our very best? We are trying to follow God. We are following the Spirit. We are, we are in tune and saying, yes, God, I'm not much, but all I have, I give to you. I am doing my best to follow you. Or secondly, we are followers, but we're playing it safe, and therefore we miss a blessing of the Holy spirit of what he really wants to do in our life or we are the ones who reject now this morning for the last few minutes i would not be doing you a service and i tell you i love all of you as your pastor you uh, you are you are in my heart if i was to say well we're just going to cover the first two because the third one i really don't want to talk about that because that's judgment stuff that's stuff that doesn't end well did you notice how The last one, how it ended? Bring that one before me and kill him in front of me. Now, lest we jump to the fact, Jesus is not saying that he is a killjoy. He doesn't delight in destruction. He doesn't delight in our pain and heartache and most of all, our eternal destruction. He's not saying that. He is giving them an illustration that the king has all authority. It's it's Jesus that we follow. Unless we think that Jesus is just something that we can step into and step out of, and maybe I'm following him today, and maybe, and we just play it safe. God is saying, I want so much more for you. I want so much more for you to step into a total commitment with me. In fact, I don't want you to reserve or hold anything back from following me. So here's the question I have. What will you and I do with what we have The question is, what do we have? I just want you to notice in this parable, Jesus 
the nobleman gave the same amount to every single servant, didn't he? So this is not about, well, some of us have special gifts and talents. Some of us have, you know, different talents than others. That, that's a whole other parable about the talents that, that, that God gave. This is specifically, I believe, about five things. Number one is this. Here's the so question. What have we been given equally? Number one is we've been given salvation. Right? Everybody has the same amount of salvation. You can never be more saved than you already are. God loves you on your very best day and on your very worst day. He'll never stop loving you. Salvation comes through faith. Salvation doesn't come through, well, if I get right with God, if I do good things, if I do, if I give, if I just, it's not up to us. It's simply about God's grace, his tenderness, his love, and his mercy. Ephesians 2.8, we are saved by God's grace through what? Faith. So we've all received Everybody on earth has been given a gift, but not all have received that gift yet. And that's why at, 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 at this place we are so, I want you to just join in in this passion that there are people who are lost and dying without knowing that the gift has been given to them. Number two is this. We have all been given the forgiveness of sins. Past, present, and future. First John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of some of our sins and purify. Oh, I'm so glad you caught that. Of all of our sins. Third is, we've been given the Holy Spirit. Can I just say this? The Holy Spirit is not given because we do good things to earn him. He's given, as Acts 2.38 says, as a gift. We've all been given the same Spirit. There's, there's not some that have a different Holy Spirit. Wow, God's really full in that guy. It might be because he or she is following in the Spirit and they're so full of the Holy Spirit that Jesus just comes out of everything that they are, but it wasn't given by God at the beginning. We all have the same Holy Spirit. And we've been given the same access, number four, in prayer. Every single one of us have been given the same access to the same God. Now, let me say, our pastoral team, we love when you come up to us and say, Pastor, could you please pray? I got this issue. Pastor, could you please pray for someone that I really have a heart for? Or we got this issue going on, or I need this job, or I just want to follow Christ more. Could you pray for us? Absolutely. There's something that happens when we agree in prayer. In the spiritual, chains are broken and, and the heavens open up, I believe, in a powerful way. But I don't have any more access to God than you. God gave us together and individually the authority of Jesus Christ. Number four is this. The word. We've all been given that word. This word is life and this word brings freedom to the captives. So in this story, this is so important. This is not just a, a story that starts off really nice but ends really bad. I think I'll just check out. Can't wait to get a Chick-fil-A. I got to go to In-N-Out after this. Hurry up, Pastor. I might get through this thing. This is about life change. This is about transformation. He wants you and I to surrender our entire life for this one thing to advance his kingdom. Let's get to the difficult part because at the very end, it's scary. And this is, this is the truth of God's word. God says one day there will be a judgment day. 
In Hebrews 9.27, just as people are destined to die once, and after that, face the judgment of Christ. Ecclesiastes 12.14 says, For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or whether it is evil. 2 Corinthians 5.10 tells us, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each person must give, must give an account for what he or she has done. So, there are different judgments in the Old Testament that are very clear that occurred. There was judgment on Adam and Eve. There was the judgment at the Tower of Babel. There was judgment on Egypt for following false gods. There's an accountability kind of judgment that we all will stand before God. I want us to hear very clearly on this because if we don't have an understanding of this, we think, oh my gosh, I hope I make it one day when I get it to heaven. I know I accepted Jesus and I know that there's judgment, but I, I hope that I don't, don't get judged for what I really done really bad. God is saying this, that there is always in his text clarity. So there is an accountability, number one, a healthy accountability that I will stand before God. Every person will stand before Jesus. But there's a second judgment out of Revelation chapter 22, Revelation chapter 6, all the way through 16, and Matthew 25, called the Great White Throne Judgment. Everybody who's ever lived will stand before God. This is the Great White Throne Judgment, meaning whether we get into a place called heaven that God has already created for everyone, or whether we go to a place called hell, by the way, Matthew 25, that God created. God created that place, Matthew 25, for the devil and his angels. It was never intended for people to go there. God does not delight in people being in hell in complete uh, um, distance and separation from him. That, that's not God's heart. But there has to be accountability. There has to be some consequence when I do wrong. As a parent, when my child did something wrong, I cannot say, well, I don't really want him to disapprove. I don't really want him to lose relationship with me, so I'm not going to discipline my boys. I discipline them because I love them, and I want them to understand if you continue in this behavior, this is not going to end well. So there's a discipline of God, but then there is the great white throne judgment. He's talking about in this text, those who have rejected Completely rejected God, completely rejected the gospel, completely rejected Father, Son, Holy Spirit, that Jesus is one, that Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary, that he, was died, he had died on a cross, that he rose again and ascended into heaven. If I reject that offer, the free gift of salvation, unfortunately, they will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Now, here's how this works. I know this is heavy stuff, but there, there's good news. You ready? When I lived in Hawaii... I, um, uh, when my wife and I moved there, it was, uh, a much slower pace of life. <laughs> um, speed limit is much slower. Um, the service in the restaurant is much slower. Everything's just slow. And so I came obviously from California, living here all my life, driving 65, 75 down the freeway. So freeway speed in Hawaii is 50, 5 on the freeway. So I had racked up it within one year, my first year living there. I had racked up three speeding tickets. And at the time, I was a youth pastor. And so um, I got a notice in the mail because in Hawaii, they don't have traffic school. 
There is no such thing. So I had to go to court. And so I remember this vividly like it was yesterday. I don't know if anyone's been to court, but stay with me in this. And I thought in my mind, if I get a fourth ticket, they're going to take away my license. This would not be good for youth pastor Mike among the high school students and junior high kids. Uh, how come Mike has to be picked up by, oh, they didn't have Uber back in that day. How come Pastor Mike has to be picked up by his pastor going everywhere to youth camps and youth meetings and church services? And, well, because he got speeding tickets and he's guilty. That would not be good. So I remember getting the notice, and you might identify with this, that there was a certain date and certain time that you need to be at court. You are not late when you need to go to court. Because there's something about it. They, they crank down the AC to about 55 degrees because they don't want the drunks to fall asleep. You have to sit on these hard benches, and you've got to wait for your name to be called. You don't know when your name's going to be called, but you have to be aware and listening. You cannot be just, well, whatever happens here. So I'm watching in the middle of all this. I'm sitting on one of those hard pews, and I'm watching all these people come up to the judge and plead their case. Some of them had attorneys. Some of them had self-defense on their own. And I, was, I remembered them telling their stories I noticed that the judge, one of the common things he always said, this is my courtroom, I have all authority, right? So as I'm waiting for my name to be called, now when you live in Hawaii, you're just, and you live there a certain time, you, you just, you become family to everybody. They have a thing called ohana, which means extended family. Oh, who's so much? Oh yeah, my cousin, he live on the other side of the island. Oh, and my aunties and uncles, everybody's connected. And so I thought in my mind, as I'm waiting for my name to be called, I am waiting intently for him to say Mike Maiola. And as I'm listening to this, I'm like, if I knew him, if he was my uncle, if he was my cousin, because of relationship, he could just tear up the tickets and say case dismissed, couldn't he? Because of that relationship, he has all authority to do whatever he wants. I don't want anyone here to be afraid. I don't want anyone here to be in a false sense of security either. That what Jesus is talking about here is that there will be a judgment day. But if you really messed up last night and you're saved and you're here, you're not in judgment of what he's talking about at the great wine throne judgment. Let me say it this way. One day we will stand before God. We've already determined that if we had more time, there's much more scripture about this. We will all stand before the judgment seat of Jesus. He will be the judge. He has all authority. And when I stand there with the rest of everyone who's ever lived, Revelation tells us that the enemy is the adversary of our souls. He's the accuser of the brethren. So when Jesus calls my name, Satan is going to say, oh yeah, I know Mike. In fact, I have a long rap sheet right here of everything he's ever done in his life. I remember when he was 14. I'll tell you what he did when he was 16 on September 16th, 1992. I, I, I remember all that. And Jesus is going to say, really? Why don't you look at that list again? And as he looks at the list, it's completely blank. So I want us to hear very clearly that we do not have to be afraid of the great white throne judgment. If you're saved, you're saved by God's grace. Now here's the deal. So why do I worry? Why do I get stressed out? Why, why do I get so caught up in the world? 
Well, he said this. She said this. We don't have enough money for this. I want a bigger house. I want a better car. How come this isn't happening? God, you didn't answer my prayer. How come you didn't completely heal? God, why aren't you doing this? Why didn't you open this door? Why do I feel like I'm stuck? Why do I feel like I'm in depression? Why do I have all these problems? We get so stuck. It's like that grip that just, it's a vice that grips us and holds us back. Where he's saying, I want you to live in freedom. I want you to know me in such a personal way. Like Paul said, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. If it means I have to suffer, if it means I have to go through something dark, it's okay, God, because I know that you're with me. I know that you'll never leave me. I know that you will never forsake me. And God, whether I feel you or I don't feel you, I know the truth is truth. So we've all been given the gift of salvation. You are saved. I want you to know that today because the word says that. In 1 John, it says, I have written these things that you may know, that you may know you have already received past tense eternal life. You're saved. For some of us, man, I think we're walking around. I hope I make it. I hope I get saved. If I go to church today, if I do these things, like we've been baptized in vinegar, man. It's like we've got a scowl on our face when the world is looking at us and going, wow, I'd really like to follow your God. Forgiveness of sins. You and I are forgiven. We have been given the Holy Spirit power. We have access to the same God in prayer. So as I wind this down, here's what I want to ask. At MVCC, we are on mission. We are on mission to serve him. And we do it gladly because we've been saved. If you were drowning in the middle of the ocean and someone came and threw you a life vest or threw you a life preserver or a lifeboat and you jumped in and he said, all I want you to do is to grab onto the life preserver and I'll save you. And you jump in and there are hundreds of other people in that same area who want to be saved. You would not sit on the boat after being saved by the captain and say, when are we getting back to shore? This motor's too loud. We got, we got a long, let's get going. You would be, oh my God, thank you so much for saving me. Oh my goodness, thank you so much that you rescued me. Is there anything that I can do to serve you? Is there anything I can do? That's the church. We are on mission together in the lifeboat because we've been saved. We don't have to worry about the judgment, which is not an excuse also to just get to do whatever we want. We still have an account to give of our life, but we're not judged because of it. It's just that I think it's going to be like this because of different places in Scripture. We're going to be able to look back on our life and go, oh, I just if I just would have given more of my heart, if I would have stepped into this, it would have had so much more, but it's not guilt. It's just the reality of knowing Oh, God, you are so good, and because of your grace and mercy, I'm so glad to be here anyway. So I don't want to give on license to sin. We don't just get to do whatever we want. We are on mission at MVCC. On mission means we want to advance his kingdom. And whatever he's given you in all those five areas, I want to ask you to use everything that God has given you. The resources have been given to you. To you. There's a woman named Miriam at our Spanish service. She had cancer six years ago, thought she was through it. Two years ago, she was diagnosed again with cancer. Hair was falling out. She went to her salon to have hair, you know, kind of redone and everything. And um, she went into the salon. She just began to weep. She began to cry. Said, my cancer is back. The hairdresser said, could you wait here just a moment? He left the room went back and brought in some oil and said, could I please pray for you 
She said, of course. He just gently touched her with some oil, prayed. He explained this prayer that was out of desperation, but out of respect and awe and honor that God is in control. But God, oh God, we need a miracle from you. We're asking, Lord, that you would do something here. Miriam desires. She's been following you. She desires. It was this kind of prayer as he explained it to me. She wants a healing. I want to ask God that you would do a healing in her life. She came back at the report from the doctor said the cancer was completely gone. Completely gone. Why I bring that up is this. You and I have been given authority. We've been given the tools from the Holy Spirit to be the church outside this place where there is no church. The world's a desperate place. Would you agree? And it's getting worse and worse and worse. The evil that is upon this nation is getting darker and darker and darker. And all the days that I've been on earth, I've never seen so much division. I've never seen so much divide, so much hatred because of the color of somebody's skin or the political viewpoint. Whatever happened, we just agree to disagree. Those days are gone. And so we can either stick our head in the sand and say, well, I'll just play it safe. I'm going to step into somebody else's pain. I'll step into somebody else's circle of heartache. And maybe it's just sitting with you. And the Holy Spirit uses you in that moment just to be present with someone. Or maybe just to pray with someone. Or maybe to share your faith story with somebody. Or maybe serve some. We've got some folks right now. I'm so excited. There's this groundswell of Holy Spirit movement here at MVCC. That is the most exciting thing to me about that is people are actually coming. Some of you have come and said, we want to do more. We want to do something. So there's some folks that decided to get together, get together and paint an elderly person's house. Not, not for any, any fame or any record or anything like that. They decided to get together and just paint and do something for somebody else that's loving. Here, here's what I want to ask, and then we're done. In what ways am I playing it safe? In my walk with Jesus. And can I tell you that there have been moments that I have played it way too safe. I've been afraid. I have been intimidated. I have had inferiority problems. I have had moments where mm, I just don't think this is the right time. I just don't think this is the right. I have missed moments. Maybe like some of you. Here's what I want to ask. I want us to ask the Lord to give us a courage to be so bold that we will step out and do whatever the Holy Spirit is asking us to do. The truth is, the nobleman will return. He's coming back. I want us to hear those words. Well done. God, thank you that your parable is so crystal clear. That the story that you gave 2,000 years ago resonates in us, God. And God, my prayer as we conclude just this portion of gathering together, as we continue to worship, Our heart's desire is to be drawn to the cross. Not where we're going to sit. Not whether we're 
going to get the VIP. But God just to serve. God can, we just want to say thank you. But those rewards, there's so much grace in that. There's charge of 10 regions, 10 areas, 10, I'm giving you because you did what I asked you to do. That's, God, that's where we're In Jesus' name. So, um, as we just have a moment to reflect on why is it that we're really here? It's because of Him, isn't it? Because of the cross. In the seat back in front of you, there's just a small, small emblem there um, for you just to take some time to um, remember and reflect. But most of all, remember, family, we want to stay in a place of repentance. And it's okay. As Jesus said, I want you to. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven and I will heal their land. So this is just a quiet moment for you to connect with Jesus to the cross and just let him do some business, whatever is going on in the heart. So thank you, God, for the reminder. As you laid yourself down, sacrifice, God, we do the very same thing.